The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. questions that we don't always get to ask fathers by having a father to ask the questions of directly. Joining us, as always, is Father Stephen McKenna, who, in addition to his duties at St. Gertrude the Great, also has duties in Milwaukee and Montana and the Dakotas and Louisiana. And I don't really know what you don't cover, Father, but uh, thanks for thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me, Stephen. Uh, before I... I get on with my regular list of show announcements if you'd like to, to lead us in a prayer. Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy oh, Mary, Holy Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. St. Thomas Aquinas, patron of pray students. Pray for us, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You know, Father, uh, this isn't uh, part of our show question today, and, and for those of you who, who haven't listened to Pastoralia before, or you might, or who might have a different notion of what Pastoralia is based on, on the last two shows Father and I have done, Pastoralia tries to take questions that can be answered in 15, maybe 20 minutes or, or less, and they just they fill out around the periphery of... Catholicism. Sometimes it's too small to be covered in a sermon, or it's just a point of etiquette. And Father and I's first two shows were rather epic in scope. In fact, I think Father, our last, our our, our last show was was uh, we broke the bank on that. We went we went uh, over a couple hours. So instead of covering these large themes like etiquette at mass or etiquette towards priests, today is a return to the show I had originally pitched to Father last season when we were in pre-production, which is the idea of questions from the audience, which that means you, dear listeners, uh, have questions for Father. You know, you've never asked a priest. You, you don't know why something is the way it is. This is the time to ask. And Father and I were talking um, before the show about Lent and, uh, and how we, we, don't want to, uh, we don't want to tell, you know, other people who aren't Catholic that, you know, we're, we're fasting and, and hence, you know, get their pity or, or whatever else. But by the, at the same time, to be careful with our main meals. And, Father, you know, given that it's a monthly show, by the next time we have a show, we're going to be close to the end of Lent. So I thought yes. Pastoralia Lent edition, we might just spend a couple minutes recapping for the audience some of the conversation that you and I just had um, off air, which was, the idea of not making your main meal 
more than <laughs> more than usual to make up for uh, the smaller, the light meals of the day. Uh, do you have any reflections on that? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, you know, we we must always remember that spirit of Lent, that spirit of 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 mortification and the, the very nature of mortification, which is that dying to ourselves, dying to our flesh, so that our spirit will be able to 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 grow towards God. The you know, the, the creature comforts that we have, the, they they we find attachment to those because they bring us pleasure. But by being attached to something else, we are naturally drawn away from what we ultimately should be attached to, which is which is God. It's kind of Splitting our, our our time, if you will, and we want to be more focused on on saving our souls, on getting to heaven, on the spiritual side of things, and so that way, you know, when we see the law of fast for the church, and it says, okay, two small meals and one main meal, uh, and the two small meals cannot add up to the to the main meal. Well, you know, that doesn't mean that we change what a, a main meal would be for ourselves. It doesn't mean we have the feast, the, the end-all feast every day, you know, like the Thanksgiving Day meal, uh, <laughs> in order to, in order that we may take normal-sized portions of those, uh, uh, those two other meals. No, it means that we cut down. Maybe we only have like a banana for for breakfast and uh, and a, a little bowl of uh, soup for the other small meal, or or you know perhaps uh, a little small salad or something, and then eat a normal meal. At uh, at dinner time, that's that's the way our mindset should be. It should not be one of truly letter to the law. It should be uh, it should be one of the spirit of the law. It should be um, we don't want to be like the the one that, the, the example that keeps coming to my mind is uh, is the you know for fear of uh, persecution here, uh, but uh, it's uh, for the Muslims. The Muslims they always have their Ramadan. And uh, I had a professor, uh, a teacher that was in a Muslim country during Ramadan one time, and she was actually, um, she was not Muslim herself. She just happened to be in the country, but she said she, said she was very, uh, almost appalled by it because during Ramadan, they, they don't eat or drink anything all during the day. But as soon as the sun goes down, every single day of Ramadan, they would have these enormous feasts and gorge themselves to the point where they almost you know, can walk around. And that's not, you know, we're not, we're not like the, the infidels here. We're, we are the true practices of the faith. And, and if, it, if we're fasting, then we're fasting. It should be hard. It should be penitential. And it should be something that we do, um, not just by letter of the law, but by a true spirit of giving towards God. So. It's, it, uh, and in, in other words, it's supposed to be hard, right? <laughs> Exactly. It's not supposed to be easy. If, you're, if your Lent is easy, you're doing something wrong, probably. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Yeah, I'm, reminded, I'm reminded of a, a phrase that's said to us a lot in uh, Marine Corps boot camp, which is uh, pain is weakness leaving the body, right? And I suppose you could exactly. Catholicize that by saying, you know, suffering is sin leaving the body, maybe? Yep, and or or when I was playing football, you know, the the the, the saying was, you know, no pain, no gain, and that was what your motto right. basically in the weight room. Everything was was no pain, no gain. Well, same thing for for Lent. If you want to make spiritual gain, you have to suffer physical pain. You know, it has to be not. I'm not saying that we should you know scourge ourselves to blood or anything, but but it should be a little a little bit of a sacrifice uh, if you actually want to have a fruitful Lent. So. 
And then don't forget about the the the, the most important. You know, we talk about the spiritual being. Uh, you know, the, the the focus of Lent. Don't forget the most important sacrifice of of all for Lent is is doing spiritual exercises. Uh, you know, taking advantage to 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 do those things um, uh, and uh, to to make sure that we. Um, that we are growing in the spiritual life by extra prayers, um, by extra devotion, stations of the cross, or spiritual reading, and whatever else, what other other pious activities we can think of. The last thing I'm going to add on to that, Father, is just just as a commentary by way of commentary on your article. And if you haven't read Father's article, he uh, had it, wrote his first piece for True Restoration this last week, and you can find it at truerestoration.blogspot.com. But uh, Father emphasized that the norms of the church are the minimums. Uh, they're what you have to do in order to not sin. They are not uh, measures of virtue. So there's no, uh, you don't get any credit uh, to put it in, ter- I, you know, maybe in, in, that's the teacher in me coming out, Father, but uh, <laughs> you don't get any credit for doing what the church requires you to do. Um, but you might, uh, you might get some credit, you know, as Father said, if you, if you were having a, a banana and maybe some honey with that banana, because that's a perfectly reasonable light meal, you might forego the honey. Or if it was a banana and yogurt, which would be, I don't know, one-third of my normal breakfast. <laughs> I told Father, you know, uh, I have pretty hearty meals. So, uh, you know, maybe you forego the honey. So, um, And keep in mind, Father's not asking you to do anything he's not doing. You know, we're, we're all in it together. Uh, it's Lent, <laughs> so as Catholics... And we've got uh, we've got the Ember Days next week, so um, it's the perfect time to, to. There's no time like the present to get into Lent, I guess. Um, That's right. Well, Father, uh, we're just going to kick off right away with our first topic, which is godparents. Um, and I have to say, whenever I've heard people say to me before, you know, that's one of my godchildren. I've inquired further, and then I found out they had five godchildren. I was. I would never, I might say something like, wow, that's a lot. Um, and maybe the subtext is this person must be really virtuous because they've got all these people asking them to be godparents. Uh, but it also made me a bit wary because I thought, you know, being a godparent to one person is such a heady task. It's such a, a big ask. So I wanted to rewind back to the beginning with you and ask, you know, what does it take to be a godparent? Who's restricted? You know, can I ask a priest to be a godparent? Can can relatives be godparents? And is there a limit? And obviously, there's some related questions. But I, why don't we start at the beginning, Father? What is a godparent? Why should every Christian have one? Well, the godparent is the um, godparent. Essentially, is the parent of the child if uh, in regards to the spiritual needs. Now, that doesn't mean that parents aren't the chief providers of the, the spiritual responsibilities for, for children, instilling, the, instilling virtue in the kids and making sure they're fulfilling their duties well for their spiritual life and, and growing and uh, working towards saving their souls. But the idea of a godparent essentially is that if anything were to ever happen to their true parents, their biological parents, if they were to, God forbid, they were to die or uh, if they were to uh, to fall away from the faith or be negligent in their duties uh, in some serious way, then it's the duty of the godparent to step in and make sure that the child is uh, is 
being cared for for their for their spiritual needs that they're fulfilling the, the their duties towards towards God and uh, and and living a life centered around the, the, the church and that's how we should look at it when we're choosing a godparent you know rule number one of picking a godparent has to be that they are a good practicing Catholic. They are a good, you know, traditional Catholic that in good in good standing, and that they are overall, you know, generally you know pious people that are you know God fearing people that are trying to to live a life uh, according to the church and uh, and and to save their souls. And you know, it, it's it's oftentimes confused in today's world because uh, <clears throat> people people think well. Uh, it, it, uh, think of it as a, in a worldly term of this is a you know an honor for my brother or my cousin or some sort of family member like oh I'll make them the godparent of my child because that's some sort of family honor but no it's it's not it, that's not the the mindset of it it is actually to have someone that will care for the spiritual needs of the children uh, if if something were to to fail for for the parents in that regard and that. You know, oftentimes, you know, unfortunately today, oftentimes that means someone that's not part of our family. You know, there's many people who have children who who have most of their relatives are not good practicing, you know, traditional Catholics. And they shouldn't pick those people for, for godparents. They should pick someone that they know will actually do their, their duty as a godparent. Um, as for number of or ask for who to ask like if there's someone restricted you know the the one that would be restricted outside of or if you've come to the conclusion or not come to the conclusion now you know so you have to have that conclusion is uh that it has to be a good practicing traditional catholic um then you you know in addition to that you you can't uh it, it can't be a priest you know the priest is is not allowed to be a, a godparent to, to to people. Um, he is um, it, unless it's an absolute situation of necessity. So, say um, you are all by yourself, and there's in some sort of hinterlands of the of the United States, and there's no traditional Catholics around. Then uh, there still needs to be a, a witness to that baptism, and someone will will help out. Then possibly in the, that situation priest could be a godparent when there's nobody else available but um but generally speaking uh, it's not really you know in a way the priest is a godparent to everybody so it doesn't really make sense to have a priest to be your godparent he is to care for all the souls in the parish and 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 to not play play favorites in that way so he's he's not allowed to be a godparent but but any good traditional catholics um you know a man and a woman should be uh should be should be uh uh, the ones that we choose to be uh, a godparent, and not the one that is going to, you know, you might have a traditional, you might have a choice between two traditional Catholic friends, one that's more, you know, timid and and mild and not going to really, um, uh, you know, cause waves, or one that will, if they see something wrong, will, you know, stand up and and do the uncomfortable task of of correcting the child, or correcting even the parent if need be. Um, that should be. Your, your, the godparent choice. It should be the one that you know. Think of in terms of of the soul of your god of your of your own child, and say, you know, is uh, who is going to look 
after the best, who's going to have the best outlook for the spiritual well-being of my child um, should something happen to me? And that should be your choice for godparent. Um, as for, you know, any kind of limit for numbers, it oftentimes, um, it oftentimes comes down to, uh, is somebody willing to take on more godchildren? You know, they're some of the best godparents I've ever seen uh, are, you know, are chosen most often because they are, are good at it. You know, there was people that I, that I've known that are older people that had, you know, 20 and or more godchildren, 30 wow, godchildren because, that's serious. because, yeah, because, but people knew this person is a pious person and it's like anything else. If you want, if you want something to get done, ask a busy person. Well, and the same thing in the world of godparents, you know, if you want someone that's going to do it right, find someone that's been doing it right for other people and to take, <laughs> to take on another godchild, then they're going to be a good candidate for it. And, and, uh, you know, which kind of leads into how a godparent should treat that duty when it falls upon them. So if you were asked for that to be a god the parent of of a child, you know, or especially if you're starting to be asked for multiple children, keep a list, keep a, an actual list of of your godchildren, because like anything else, you know, you might you might forget all the names if you, if they start to add up, and it should be you know when and with that list, it should be some it should be people that you pray for constantly that you're always praying for, you're having masses said for your godchildren or your you know, you're remembering their them uh remembering to, to check up on them and, and to 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 keep tabs on, on them for their spiritual life. Um which requires of a godparent to to be in touch with the parent with the with the family as much as as, as possible. Sometimes as human nature goes, sometimes it ends up being harder than than uh than you would like it to be, but it, that effort should always be there. Keep in touch. Try to be a part of that family. So when there's uh, when there's birthdays or there's uh, you know uh, feast days or whatever it may be, either you know be at the house to, to celebrate it or to you know at least call or send card and things like that. Not just I mean it's good for the sentimental part, but it's also good to keep yourself always there and involved with the family, be a, be a part of, you know, you take on that name of godparent, you might not be part of the family, but you are part of the, their spiritual family. And so you should be a part of the, of the family in that way. And it allows you to fulfill the other duties, especially for those times when you might have to have, as we like to call it, the, the little talk. If you have to, you know, pull little Johnny or Susie aside and say, you know, you missed mass last weekend. What happened? You know, why were you not there? Why? How can we move forward? How can we get better at this? You know, have you been praying your rosary? Have you been doing, you know, doing your your spiritual duties? And you know, those times when nobody wants to, but they, but out of duty, we have to for the good of their soul to pull them aside and, and and talk to them a little bit. You can only really do that if you're part of their life. If you never, if you're asked to be a godparent, you're there for the ceremony, and then you don't really talk to them anymore. Your your words of your words of, uh, of of correction don't really hold much weight. But if you're constantly if you're constantly part of their life, then you know, then you know they will be more apt to listen 
to the corrections that you might need to provide. And and in all, with that is also the duty of the godparent to be that good example in their own lives. Because uh, you, know, you you mentioned at the beginning of the show, Stephen, being you know coming from the the the, the you know a military uh, background a bit, you know any military person would 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 uh, say that the best leaders are the ones who do not. Um, uh, demand respect, but command respect, meaning that, you know, the the leader doesn't just yell and shout for people to obey them, but leads by example. And those are the ones that people want to follow. Same thing, especially for the spiritual life. If they see someone who's living a good and pious life and, and trying to strive for their own souls, then they realize it's more than just, people will realize it's more than just words. And they'll take, they'll put more credence into the words that you do say because you're living it yourself. Or, and, um, and so that's, you know, the, the duty of a godparent is a, is a great duty and it's a necessary duty. And, um, you know, people should be honored if they're asked to be a godparent, and, but they should also view it as, you know, as a, uh, almost like a, as, a, as an author. It's a lifetime contract. Yeah, exactly. It's a lifetime contract, and it's something that that uh, is um, is, a, is a great honor. But it is it, it, like anything else; it, it, you know that honor comes with responsibility, and and a responsibility that is a is a very serious one. Father, um, there's lots of vistas that uh, are are open to us here, um, and I see we have a, a caller, so someone must have a question about about godparents, and um, I will get you in a moment, caller. But um, I uh, wanted to, boy, there's, I, I, I have all these notes from, from the last few minutes of your, uh, of your talking, Father. Um, so I want to I go backwards before we can go forward. So going backwards, mm-hmm. can I ask, is there an age limit? Uh, is, there, is someone too young to be a godparent? Obviously, there's no age limit on virtue, and that's something that you stress, mm-hmm. but can someone be too young or too elderly because there's the practical side of being a godparent too. And if you could possibly die before the parents would die, then, then there's a, there might be a function lost there. So, um, uh, can you just comment on that, please? Sure. Someone for the, the lower end of the spectrum, someone to be a godparent should be someone or has to be someone who's, who's baptized themselves and, and, and should be confirmed themselves. You know, you have to have somebody, you don't want you know, somebody who's six years old or, you know, just baptized being the godparent. They don't know their own spiritual duties themselves. They, you know, you should, uh, you should be picking the, the minimum requirement has to be someone who's baptized and confirmed themselves. But, uh, but it should be, uh, in the in the, the grand scheme of things, it should be somebody who is actually of an age that they're going to be fulfilling their own spiritual duties on their own accord, not because mom, their own mom and dad are, are telling them to do it, but because you know they are virtuous people who are who are doing it themselves. So usually, you know, the the general idea is someone who's basically you know of pretty much of a, a, an adult age that that you know has responsibilities themselves that has spiritual responsibilities themselves and they can take care of it themselves that way uh it's not that way they can they can look out for the the well-being of the of the child as for elderly um you know you shouldn't necessarily necessarily 
you know, turn away from an older person from doing it. Now, if that person is 95, you know, could die before the the child even reaches the age of reason or something, or before they can, you know, get, you know, ideally someone that would hopefully be around, you know, at least until the, to the, to to their uh, godchild becomes an adult themselves, you know, to see them through those tough years of, adolescence when, you know, they're most likely going to be tempted to, to stray away and to lay down those good foundations. It doesn't have to be someone that's going to be there until, you know, the, the, the child is, a, is of a ripe old age themselves, but it should be somebody that, uh, that will be around at least for a little while anyways. So, uh, For those of you who are just joining us, you're listening to Posturalia on the Restoration Radio Network. Uh, I'm Stephen Heiner. I'm joining that voice you just heard is Father Stephen McKenna, and we're talking godparents uh, for the first part of our show today. We've already had a caller, even though I didn't give out the number. I forget that it's uh, listed on the website all the time, and that telephone number is 949-272-9417, 949-272-9417. If you have a burning question to ask Father, um, please give us a call, and, and we'll be happy to do that. Uh, Father, now to pivot from the age requirement, some people may be listening and say, okay, you know, Stephen, Father, you all are set of a contest, and uh, we've always tried to make the point that Restoration Radio is a Catholic radio station. Most of the, the hosts and guests have have come to the conclusion of, of set of a contest because we don't see another Catholic way to reconcile what we see in front of us. So that being said, people may say, well, Father, I know holy people in the Novus Ordo. I know holy people in the Motu, SSPX. You know, can I ask someone to be uh, a godparent, uh, you know, with the caveat, hey, you know, don't, don't take my kids off to the SSPX? Um, because then this, this ties a little bit into the question of how much am I allowed to interfere? Sometimes families are at the same spiritual level at the time of baptism, but maybe one family gets more, how shall we say, rigorous, and then another family gets more lax or vice versa. So then how, a little bit of a tie into etiquette, how can I inter, interfere is the wrong word. What's the line? Uh, and so I guess you have to answer the first question of who can I, who, what's the pool of applicants that I can pick from? And then <laughs> once I pick someone, what are my limits as far as etiquette and Catholic, uh, Catholic charity, my responsibility as a godparent to interfere in what we think is a bad situation? All right. Well, the first part of it is, you know, dealing with that the position of, you know, as you said, for us, for Sade Vacantism, is that you should pick someone who is of the same position as you. You know, we, yes, we, like you said about Restoration Radio, radio we are, we are Catholics. That's, you know, that is what we are. Any kind of other terminology put towards it, traditional Catholic, Sade Vacantist, whatever it may be, is not a, a truly a, a category. We are purely Catholics and the state of a position is the 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 Catholic position in regards toward to the, the crisis that that we are in now that doesn't mean that there are are not good and pious people that like you said may be going to the SSPX or the Motu Mass or you know anything like that but it's um, but it's the recognition that this is if if you're presenting a child for baptism you have to think that while you don't want anything to happen to you, what if something does? And a person of of a different mindset towards the crisis in the church is not 
even if they say so with their mouth, cannot be legitimately guaranteed to fulfill your wishes in regards to the, the Catholic rearing of the child, uh, given the current you know crisis we're in in the church. And uh, if you want that, you want to guarantee that that is fulfilled, then pick someone who is of the same position uh, as yourself, because uh, that is. Um, it, it's otherwise you're you're putting someone in a position where you know even if they if they have not come to that conclusion of state of contism, you're asking someone essentially to to violate their own conscience, whether it's a, a good conscience or a bad conscience, is you know is neither here nor there. You're asking someone to go against what they believe to provide. It's like it's it's akin to asking you know someone to who's a, who's a Protestant to raise your child Catholic. It's they don't believe they don't believe it themselves, so they're not going to see a need to to uh, you know look after the the enforcing that in the in the, in the child. So um, you know that's that's important to to know in that regard. What was the other part of the question, Stephen? I'm sorry. How what what's the latitude that we have for interfering when we see a family situation? Let's and I'll, I'll give you an example so that uh, people may not think I'm being so abstract. Uh, you have a, a family who has a television in the house, right? And you're the godparent. And mm-hmm. let's say you're even in a situation where once a, once a month or once a quarter, you you take the godchild to, to mass with you. I'm, I'm thinking an ideal situation. Mm-hmm. So the topic doesn't necessarily come up. To, to talk about television. So let's say you, you come by Saturdays, pick up the 10-year-old godchild, go to Mass together, maybe go out and grab a bite to eat afterwards. Is there a, is there a not only a, a way that satisfies charity as a fellow Christian, but also satisfies our duty as godparents to speak to those issues that aren't necessary? Because, again, back to what we started the show with, talking about the, the minimums that the Church presents with length, right? Those are the minimums. You know, okay, so perhaps it may be argued, and that's probably for another show, Father, television is not in and of itself sinful. So the question will be, it's not a direct threat to the faith. I, right now, Bishop Dolan and Bishop Sanborn would be all over me for saying something like that, but I, I'm trying to stretch it as best I can. How is right. there is there a way... Is there a limit? How do I make that correction? How can I encourage my godchild to step away from something that is a, a true danger to the faith, like television, without attacking the authority of her parents, which is also something that's, that's a fourth commandment? Um, we've got to thread right. that needle. And, and what would be a, that's a that's obviously an idealized, made-up situation, but I think people will understand from whatever general principles you give them. Yes. Well, you know, the ultimate idea of it is that especially in front of the child, you know, it, it should not be one of tearing down um, the respect for, for a parent at all. But at the same time, you can go about it in a way that you're, you're speaking towards the, towards the virtue. You know, so if, say, if a child has a, you know, the parents have TV in the house and, you know, that it's something that is, is watched in the house, you can very easily talk about this, you know, certain types of shows or certain types of, of, of media are not appropriate for a Catholic to watch and uh, that they should, you know, refrain from, from those things and, and, and not follow through with it. And, uh, and if need be, if there's something where 
the you're saying one thing and the parents truly are saying a, a, or acting in a contrary way, then you know, the the first course of action should be you know, speak to the virtue to the child without breaking down the the chain of command. I guess you would in their life, um, and then. <clears throat> And then pull the parents aside and say, "Listen, you know, you're creating a situation here that's bad for the child." You know, you know, and do that away from the child and say, "You need to, you, you know, if you're going to watch TV yourself, put it in a place that only you watch it, and then, or you know, or you know, only you know, make sure you're only showing, you know, decent um, programs like you know, Catholic movies and things like that to the to, to the child, uh, and not just letting them watch, uh, in, you know, TV without any kind of." filter at all on it as to what they're they're watching content wise um and uh you know all care should be taken to try to to uphold that balance now if it ultimately reaches ahead and nothing is being done then uh you know the ultimate goal of the godparent is to steer the child away from sin and if you know if there's truly a, a situation that is you know ultimately uh, the, there's no way around fixing it other than dealing it with it head on. Then, then you can, but it's um, but it always has to be done with that mindset in our in our head of I have to uphold the respect for their parents as much as as, as possible in that regard because one of the chief duties of a child is is to to honor and obey their their parents and we don't ever want to break that down if we can ever at all avoid doing so. Um, so, you know, nine times out of 10, it's going to be, there's going to be a way of dealing with it tactfully where you speak to virtue to the child and then, and then kind of pull the parents around for a little talk of their own and try to get them back on course. You know, if it's, um, if it's, if it's not going anywhere after trying it in that route and you're, you know, you're really up against truly stiff opposition, then, then ultimately your duty is towards the, the, the soul of the child. And, you know, I don't think a godparent, while not, they shouldn't micromanage every single thing, a godparent also shouldn't feel like they can't speak to a child and or speak to their godchild and say, you know, listen, this is what you need to do for virtue. That's that's your job. That's why I was chosen for this position. And that's my duty. And uh, I'm going to fulfill it because, you know, you'll have to, a godparent will, will have to render an account for that to God on his own judgment um, and they should they should take uh, care to fulfill it I think that's uh, part of the question that our caller from Canada has is is about those responsibilities um, ma'am please go ahead you're on the air with father hello hello father um, yes hello. as a matter of fact yes you, uh, hello? hello hello father do you hear me Hi. Hello. Yes, can I can you hear me? You? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay. Yes, um, I find that um, uh, our host, I found that he has really illustrated very well my concern. And the other problem that I also have related to uh, my responsibility as a godmother towards my goddaughter is also the fact that uh, I'm a recent uh, set of acantists, like for less than a year. So I've been a godmother when I was uh, in the Novus Ordo. Now, I come from a family that is very, like, was very practicing, very de- dedicated uh, to, towards our faith and all that. But, you know, my sister, you know, and the generation of, or, you know, the youth generation today, you know, very much influenced by society and everything, uh, they just 
for them, like the face is like almost like it's just like maybe like a cultural tradition or it's just like it's something that is very secondary in their life. And myself, I'm trying, and my relation, and the problem is I'm having a very hard difficulty having a relationship in the first place with my goddaughter because of that. There's also family issues involved too. The fact, uh, so how, I don't even know where to begin right now, like in, you know, to establish, you know, to, uh, you know, to work out this relationship with my, uh, with my goddaughter. And the fact that I'm new in this, in the set of Acantis, uh, as an out of novice ordo, and they are in the novice ordo and they don't see the difference. Like to them, it's just like Chinese. So, um, what do you do in a situation like this? <laughs> How, how how old is your your goddaughter? She's in, uh she's twenty one, right now. What's okay. her big concern? She's her concern right now is just her studies, like studying to become a dentist. She's not like she's not at all interested, like like spirituality. Her spirituality, her relationship with God. That's to, to her like it just goes twenty feet above her head. And right, yeah. I still have a responsibility, but I just feel like I'm completely, I just don't know where to begin. And in and, and the relationship, Novus Ordo and Sedivicantism as well, like I feel it's like there's an humongous bridge there or a gap there between both of us. And right. even, with, well, like, even with the faith of the, the parents as well, not to mention it. Right. Exactly. Yes, I understand completely. Um, in a situation like that, especially where where she's you know a grown adult herself, uh, yeah, exactly. We have to we have to always remember what the chief duty of a godparent is, and that is our our prayers. To be vigilant in in praying for something, you know, to to pray is not to be to be passive, you know, that, that is not a passive action. Mm-hmm. We, we have to pray and pray with confidence to God in that way. Uh, it's, it's often, you can, uh, you can uh, compare it to a parent even of, uh, of someone who is a, you know, who has grown and then fallen away on mm-hmm. their own, you know, oftentimes what can a parent do besides, besides pray, you know? And so <laughs> our prayer sh- should be, should be first and foremost in that. And if there's when, and then, just continually be try to be involved in her life, even just in a way of uh, of uh, you know just of a, of a presence there. Her and, birthday uh, and her right, birthday exactly. and things like that. And then, yeah. and then don't ever be afraid to 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 mention you know sp- you know spiritual topics and talk to them and, and and things like that and you know try to get them back to to simple things such as doing prayer you know th- you know trying mm-hmm. to get them to to pray pray the rosary or uh mm-hmm. um you know do little spiritual duties on their own and and those those graces can 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 um will start to build upon their soul and and then mm-hmm. uh and then perhaps in in the in the future with with that grace uh then it mm-hmm. opens the door for possibly bringing them along to towards tradition in the in the long run you know if there's ever a chance to 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 bring them to to the mass or something like that you know that's a good opportunity too just to to expose them to, in the mass right to the, to even the mass for me or, the mass uh, we don't even 
like we have the Nova Soto Mass. We don't even have the traditional Mass here, at, you know, in, in Ontario, like where, we, where I live. So it would be the Nova yeah. Soto Church. Well, so where then, in that case, <laughs> then in that case, really, it would be the, 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 you know, getting them to pray the rosary and, uh, you know, getting them to, 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 to you know, to, to really start to, to develop, even if in a small way, uh, some sort of prayer life, see the, you know, for, like, in their case, it would be like it would be like right from the right from the beginning would be like to initiate, you know, to get them back to initiate them to you know their relationship with God, like to even to to you know consider God in your life. That's how terrible. Correct, this yeah. is how bad the, the situation is. Right, like they, that, like they almost a, make a fun of being being Christian almost sometimes. Yeah. And, and in those situations, that's where we really fall back on our own prayer. And then also just something as simple as when you send a birthday card, or you know, put a put a little yeah. prayer card in there. You know, something. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. a, a prayer to or a green you know, scapular, a, maybe. Yeah, or a green scapular, or a green. You, do you know the green scapular? Oh yeah. The, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you know, try send, to send, find send, some. Send, in, try to find some here around here. <laughs> There's yeah, no religious or have a heart to It's terrible. I'm telling you, we're in terrible situation well, well, here in the north. <laughs> yeah. If you um, if you write, if you write a um, if you write to um, a letter to Saint Gertrude the Great and in, and address it to 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 me, um, then I, and just you know say that I was the caller, and I will send you some some green scapulars and sacramentals and uh, oh, you know, I would like that. Problem. Yeah, and then, um, but and then, otherwise, you know, even just prayer cards, you can find. You know, I'll um, I'll send you up some of those too. But the, you can you can yeah. you can get prayer cards and uh, by, mm-hmm. okay. through, through online, you know, through the internet and stuff like that. Just little reminders that are mm-hmm. there, like breadcrumbs leading them back mm-hmm. to to the faith. And yeah. then once again, uh, your your chief duty is going to end up having to be on your knees. You know, that's that's that's. Yeah. Uh, that's the, the truly the greatest thing you can do is is to 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 pray for them. So okay, well I appreciate your answer, Father, and it's a it's a you re, a little bit more reassuring because right now I I found it like I felt a little bit even a little bit some kind of guilt personally because I felt like a god like what am I really doing? Am I taking my responsibility seriously and all that? <laughs> Oh, don't, well, don't, don't ever lose, lose heart and always, you know, like we say, like we oftentimes say to, to, to parents of the, of the same situation is, you know, remember St. Monica and how far away St. Augustine fell and what did she do? She, she, she prayed so, so heartily for him and, uh, and ultimately that is what won his soul back to, to the faith and what made him such a great saint was the vigilant prayers of, of St. Monica and, uh, so, so, you know, just always, Maintain that that true trust in, in God and 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 that uh, and that hope that hope that He will uh, that He will answer our prayers. He, he you know he He's promised it to us, and we may never see it in our lifetime, but we know that He's going to you know by our prayers He will He will truly give graces where where they're necessary if we're if we're faithful in asking for them. Thank you very much, Father. I really appreciate your support. You're, you're welcome. Right. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. All right, Father. Well, with that, let's pivot into our next topic, which is uh, the dress of priests. And one of the things I, I chatted about here, I was just on the subway yesterday here, and I saw a priest in, in a 
Catholic. It's called the Suka here in France. And I'm sure I thought to myself, this guy has got this, this person. I said, this guy, this person has to be a Society of St. Pius X priest. Because I was in the arrondissement where uh, San Nicolas is, which is, for those of you who don't know, Pius X has a huge church here in Paris. They do six masses on Sunday. It's totally packed out. And I could see that he was saying the rosary, the, the, just the way he had his hands. And I could see he was, he was uh, um, saying words under his breath. So I thought to myself, well, this is, you know, this is priest. Now, he's wearing a suta, a, a cassock. And that is normative here, has always been normative in France, to wear the cassock all the time. And it is sort of a sign of modernism. This is what I've been told by the traditional faithful here, to wear clericals. That being said, on the other hand, this has not been the case in the United States. And uh, one, of my, uh, one of my good friends here, actually, in, in uh, France, who... Um, speaks enough English to to get into excitable discussions with me, and said, you know, I've seen Bishop Sanborn in this uh, clerical garb. He's wearing pants and a, you know, clerical suit. This is, this is just, isn't this Novus Ordo? Why don't you all wear cassocks there? And so uh, this is two a two-part question, Father, is what is the custom in the United States? What has been the custom? And can, is there a reason to go against the custom when let's say that the, the custom has, how can I put this? If the custom in the United States has been different, does a crisis necessitate maybe changing the custom and, and going a little more hardcore than has been the custom in the United States? So if you could give some context and explanation, I'm sure not just our European <laughs> friends, but even our, even our American listeners who probably don't know the history of why Father wears clericals. The one time maybe Father McKenna looks like a Nova sort of priest. What's going on with that? All right. Well, first off, for, for the United States, anyways, um, there was, in the 1800s, there was the, 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 the Council of Baltimore that happened here in the United States. And, um, and what it was was it was a, a you know, councils that were, that were held to deal with issues for the country here, the, the United States of America, and that were particular to here. And at the time of that council, there was great persecutions actually going on in the United States against the Catholic faith. Uh, there was uh, the, the you know Catholics were were looked down upon. I think of the city that I or the, you know the, my my home state Massachusetts in particular. Um, you know, this was before the the large influx of of Irish and Italians to 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 the country and uh, and w- during that time, at least I know that throughout the United States and especially in places like Massachusetts, you would go by shop buildings and it would say you know uh, Catholics need not apply. Uh, for for jobs, that's how how bad it was. And the original um, the original cathedral built for Boston didn't have windows on the lower level of the church. It only had an upper level windows of the church originally because of the fact that the persecution was so bad. They were afraid of uh, either the stained glass being smashed or the church even being firebombed by by Protestants. And so that was that's the so the the faith was very much under attack, and uh, things that would end the were truly points of ridicule to the faith were uh, the the cassock worn by um, 
by the priest because it was truly an anti-clerical society and uh, and uh, and also you know the tonsure on the head and things like that and so for the sake of of protecting the faith against some of the ridicule the, those the the norms for it were put out that uh, here in the U.S. that uh, if a priest is on church property or doing sacred functions, then he he should wear the cassock. But if uh, if he's out and about, you know, going to the market or uh, just uh, as you said, like riding the subway or something, then uh, the clerical suit is is the, the the proper wear for that that priest. Now, obviously, the, the 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 persecution is not as great in the United States any longer, and so with that mindset, there's you know some area of of leeway given in that. So, for instance, um, just recently, we one of our parishioners had asked us uh, had asked all the clergy from St. Gertrude's over for for dinner. You know, devout parishioner of, of ours, and uh, and several of us were working around the church, and we we're in cassock all day, and it's just easier to you know hop in the car and drive over to the person's house. There's you know no no need to to, to transfer into the suit and everything like that than to just to go over to a parishioner's house or, or whatever it may be. But uh, but generally speaking, if we were to go out, we would wear the clerical suit. It's not a point of modernism. It's it's just a point of of custom for 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 the for the country. Um, and in fact, you know that idea of the SSPX. You know, that in in France, like you said, it being such a stronghold there in France, you know, the SSPX has this idea that they wear the cassock all the time, no matter what, uh, everywhere they go, whether it be airplanes or trains or uh, you know shopping or whatever it may be, they're always in cassock. Or playing well, soccer at the seminarian. Yeah, exactly, and that's just. Uh, and people need to realize that that is a, not a Catholic idea. That is a SSPX idea. It is a bizarre uh, idea that they have adopted for themselves. And because they seem to have, a, you know, a large number of people, then they they in turn have created this interpretation of, oh, to not wear the cassock is, is liberal. Well, no, it's, it's not. Actually, if you go back, you know, the cassock was not always the the day to day travel around clerical garb of the clergy before. Uh, actually, the common wearing, even in Europe, of the cassock out on your daily duties is not something that came about until after the French Revolution. The, the, before then, there was, you know, uh, the, the daytime attire of the priest, the, 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 the street attire, if you will, of the priest, was something that was more akin to uh, a clerical suit. Uh, it was it was perhaps a little bit longer, but it was not certainly not the long soutane or cassock uh, that you know that we see today as they went out and about. It was after the revolution that they that the the, the clergy started you know the 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 wearing of the cassock everywhere on the street. It was became more in vogue for for France and um, you know and, and in fact because of that idea of being truly an SSPX idea and not something that is strictly speaking, you know, uh, anti-modernism, uh, that uh, people like Bishop Sanborn or Bishop Dolan or, or, or any of us, if we were to travel to, to France, there'd be times that we would wear the, the, the clerical suit when out and about, not only because it's our custom as Americans, but it's, it's, it's done to, to make sure that people don't confuse us with the SSPX because we don't want to be confused with the SSPX and we don't want to take an idea that is, you know, their own creation bow down because that's what you know the society does that's you know that's not us that's their own thing that they that they've created 
and um, and you know, pe- and people should should recognize that. People should realize that a clerical suit is, is still, you know, the, the cleric is the, the priest is still dressed as a cleric. He's still distinguishable as a priest, and in no way is it disrespectful to the priesthood, or in no way is it in any way, uh, you know, hiding that fact. And then you hit on another part, like you said, playing soccer at the the seminary. Wearing a cassock, playing soccer or playing sports or whatever it may be, or doing like physical work and things—that's something that is. Uh, I guess you could almost say that's basically almost a, a Pharisaical mindset. You know, I got to even in this time of of rigorous activity and rigorous exercise, have to be wearing this long soutane. And you know, as someone who has to buy his own soutans and his own cassocks, you know, and then they're costing <laughs> hundreds of dollars. I'm not going to go out and start diving across the mud and, you know, sweating up you know, a storm and, you know, and ruining this really expensive cassock that I'm, I'm, I'm wearing. No, it's, it's a practical point of view. If I'm playing, uh, you know, a sport or I'm, you know, digging and planting trees in the yard or something like that, uh, you know, people who I'm with, if I'm playing sports, usually the people that I'm with are going to be fellow parishioners and, they know that I'm a priest, they, uh, and they know that I'm I'm playing sports, and you know the two, you know, doesn't take away from from the person who is, uh, you know, in the priesthood. It's you know it's a it's a point of practicality. You know, I'm not going to sleep in my cassock uh, as as my nighttime wear. I'm not going to I'm not going to go to the gym in my cassock as as gym wear. That's that's uh, it. Really, is a, a Pharisaical mindset, and it's something that we should. We should go away from. It's not that we don't love the cassock, and if you, you know, like I said, if you ever come to, if anybody ever comes to St. Gertrude's or to uh, any of our other chapels, they will see us, you know, on on the grounds, always in cassock because that's, you know, that's our that's our uniform, if you will. But that being said, um, you know, we have to have a balance and a healthy balance and a and a balance that is truly the mindset of the church. You know, if you went back, uh, you know, before. That things like Society of Saint Pius X existed. Uh, you know, that's what that's what you would have found you know, the, your average clergyman doing. You know, wearing wearing the you know the, the appropriate garb for what the, what activities they were doing, and also having you know street clothes, uh, uh, especially in certain parts of the of the world like the United States. Yeah, and I, I suppose there, Father, as I was hearing you talk, I, I think of the difference between. A religious habit and a cassock, they're not the same thing. And there's probably more of a, a much stronger sense of what you're talking about. Uh, you know, we're, we're used to watching Benedictines go gardening, even though they, they probably have a work, ha- a work habit and a, a, let's say, choir habit. But it's right. not the same thing. A cassock isn't just a priestly version of a religious habit. It, 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 it's, it's slightly different, and that's why I think some of those norms that you talk about are important. Right, and and on the flip side of it, you know, it's you know, when we're performing sacraments, um, you know, and 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 sacred functions, uh, we you know we do wear our cassocks because of the dignity of of something like a sacrament. You know, if I'm, uh, you know, I wouldn't go and approach the altar for for mass or benediction or or go into the confessional and and whatnot in in just a a normal suit and uh, you know because it's. Um, because it, it, it's it's such a dignified thing that it it merits something like a the wearing of a cassock. That's that is you know what is supposed to, that's what's mandated by the church for for those those things. Um, 
but as for you know going to the grocery store um, all all wearing a cassock would do is really serve to create wonder and and uh and uh and strange looks from the faithful and that's not what the faith is about we're we're supposed to be all things to all men we're not supposed to cause people to go well that's weird that's that's a strange thing to do um so you know we're supposed to uh we're in a way we're supposed to uh you know kind of uh, move about that people know we're priests yes but uh at the same time we're not just to, to we're not in the the business of shock and awe if you will so <laughs> right, we'll leave that. We'll leave that to the U.S. military. Well, right, exactly. Uh, Father, for, for, uh, we'll move on to our next topic. For those of you who are just joining us, you are listening to Pastoralia on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm Stephen Heiner, um, along with uh, Father Stephen McKenna, who's not uh, just going through uh, the questions that we have today, but he's also taking phone calls. Um, we've been talking about godparents. Uh, we just finished talking about the the cassock, and we're going to move on to talking about. Uh, head coverings. Uh, a reminder that Pastoralia is a production of the Restoration Radio Network and all rights are reserved. Um, any duplication on any channel or any media without express written permission is forbidden and permission to broadcast uh, or reproduce can be obtained by writing to mail, M-A-I-L, at truerestoration.org. Father, we were talking about garb for yourself. Now we're going to move on to garb for women inside a church. And there's some confusion here, and I think obviously this comes with all of the confusion around the crisis as to what's a law, what's a custom, what's a tradition. You know, Armantia is only for Spanish people. Uh, you know, some people sometimes put on the equivalent of, I call them napkins. You know, what's the bare minimum? Oh, you need a covering on your head. Here's a, here's a cocktail napkin, and, uh, and that counts. And uh, going back to the letter of the law, spirit of the law. So, can you clarify for us what is church law regarding this? What's church custom, and and what should be the spirit that informs the letter of this law? Okay. Well, it's, I, I, when we talk of head covering for women, it's actually more than it's more than just church law. It's actually something that is is scriptural, and in that way, kind of crosses over into into the divine. That's why, you know, when people question and say, well, in modern times, you know, that we're, we're living in, you know, it's, it's, it's unusual for a woman to wear a head covering. When are you going to adapt? Well, uh, you know, I, I can't just say, well, you know, you're right. We'll just, we'll just change our ways because it's, it's something that is not just a, a, a law of the church. It's something that actually is, is written in, in scriptures itself. And that's why, for for head coverings for for the the sacred services such as you know mass and and the sacraments and things like that um, we we should enforce the that head covering of of women uh, because uh, it's uh, you can find that in the the first book the book of uh, the first letter of Saint Paul to the Corinthians where it says uh, that uh, that in chapter eleven verse five it says but every woman praying uh, or prophesying with her head not covered disgraces her her head, for it is all one as if she were shaven. Uh, and then later on, it tells us kind of a little bit of why. Therefore, uh, this is verse 10, therefore ought the women to have a power over their head because of the angels. And that power is is that, that veil. So when you're 
you're attending mass or you're attending any of the sacraments, the the woman covers her head out of humility because of uh, of of the the presence of of all of heaven there uh, and in in that way. And so it's an act of humility. It's an act of uh, of uh, of uh, of respect for the the grand presence of of angels uh at the at the mass and it's uh and it's something that you know should be looked upon not only as uh a duty but as something that uh it, that women should take uh ch- take great care for not uh, as a source of you know of of the vice of pride but but of a, of a truly spiritual proudness of you know that I'm doing you know, I'm doing what I can to obey and and to respect God and God and the angels and uh, and to to do all I can to to serve Him as He has asked me to. Uh, and it also is uh, something that when we look at the difference between man and woman, the typical man and the typical woman, from a natural point of view, it makes sense too as well. You know, naturally speaking, women take great pride in in their hair and, and, you know, care to, to have different styles and, uh, and in grooming and, uh, and, and, uh, and take, you know, Father, are you saying that women time. care about fashion? Well, I mean, I don't want to accuse of, of anything unjustly, but I suppose that, you know, if the, if, if the shoe fits in this case or the veil fits in this case, then, uh, then we should, uh, we should wear it, but it's true. It's, it's, you know, and I think it's. I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, you know, I think it's it's good that women care uh, on how they present themselves because it's if done appropriately, it, it it comes across in a very elegant and 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 feminine way, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But because of that, and because women of the on the natural level have uh, a more draw towards their own personal vanity or towards you know compare and contrast between other women and things like that, uh, that it's, you know, that, that is part of the reason why it is, is implemented in, in the church. Now, you know, the reverse side of it is, is men, you know, men who, who might have some variance in, 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 in haircut or whatever it may be. But at the same time, if, if the barber screws up on a man's haircut, he goes, his attitude is, well, it'll grow back in a few weeks anyway. It's no big deal. And just kind of moves on and, you know, okay, I'll comb my hair. It'll take me all of three minutes and, or, or if that, you know, and, and it's, uh, uh, so it's, you know, that we have to recognize the difference between <laughs> men and women and, uh, and, uh, in that natural, you know, uh, makeup of who they are. Um, and so because of that... That's, just so, that's so Pelagian of you, Father, you know, saying that there's differences between men and women. I just... You're, you're just off the program, for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I look forward to your angry letters, uh, you know, feminists who... <laughs> but it's... Uh, um, no, it's... But it's it's true. I mean, until, until people... I mean, it was forever recognized in society. It was not that one is better than the other. It's just that there are truly differences between men and women, and, and we recognize that. And so for... For for women, it's uh, you know we 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 take care in that way, and so they wear wear the proper head covering because of it. Now, what is the the rule? They should have their 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 head covered. That they should have it veiled uh, in, in in that way. And so, like you said at the beginning, there's the whole 
litany of, of options, whether it be veils or you know chapel veils or mantillas or or a hat or or or, or napkin, and and anything that is a head covering would work. And we kind of joke a little bit about the the old lady who throws a napkin on you know pins a napkin to her head, but in reality, I mean, what a great act of humility that is. Not that people should all of a sudden start showing up with napkins, uh, you know, like table napkins on their head. But <laughs> at the same time, in, in a pinch, it works, and it shows that the, the spirit of the woman is, no, I, I'm going to try to fill this, you know, this respect that I have for God by going into chapel, by by uh, by finding anything I can to, to, to fulfill that requirement, and I don't necessarily really care if it looks a little goofy as long as I can, you know, go and pray to God um, uh, as he would want me to. Uh, but uh, at the same time, we shouldn't let it be a barrier keeping for women from church. So, you know, I, I think of like the, the ladies who come and drop their children off at St. Gertrude's for, for school or the, that happen to be dropping something off at the church or whatever it may be. And they think, oh, I can just make a quick visit. And if there wasn't a, if they forgot their veil because they weren't planning on making a visit or there was no veils available in the vestibule for some reason, um, you know, it should not, you know, it's the spirit of the law. It shouldn't stop them from going in and making a visit. If they can put a veil on or a head covering on, they should, and they should try to take care to do so. But if it was, if it came down to making a visit to the Blessed Sacrament or not making a visit to the Blessed Sacrament, then, you know, the, our common sense and our spirit says, well, make the visit to the Blessed Sacrament. You know, that's, that's more, more appropriate. Um, and the same thing with the fulfilling Well, there's, and there's ways to improvise around that, right, Father? I mean, you could, you could, uh, I mean, if you had a scarf with you, which is a sort of a law here in Paris, you have to have a scarf with you when you go out. I suppose you could you could use that as a makeshift uh, veil, or if you had some some sort of uh, some other kind of cloth, you you could you could do that. I understand what you're saying about spirit of the law. Um, obviously, outside of yeah. improvisation, I think don't let, as you say, don't let uh, don't let the lack of a veil you know stop you from time with our Lord if that's not something you have on hand. But at a place like St. Gertrude's, there's always extra chapel. Oh there. yeah, I actually, I mean, I, I uh, assume that they do exist, but I've never been to a chapel that doesn't have like a little basket of veils in the vestibule for, for, for people coming just in case, because that's what happens. I mean, it's something that you have to remember to bring and like anything else, it's possible to forget it. So the church tries to, to provide, uh, you know, most churches will try to provide for, for, for the ladies in that way and have chapel veils at the front or, uh, or like you said, if they have a scarf or, or something like that, they can put it on over their head uh, to, to improvise in those situations. But if you ever find yourself truly in a situation that there was nothing um, you know, don't let it keep you from coming. Even if, even if that means Sunday mass, you know, that it would be much more important to fulfill your Sunday obligation. Say you showed up to church, you didn't have a scarf, you didn't have a veil because you forgot it. And the entire basket was emptied of, of, of chapel, chapel veils. Well, you know, what's the better thing? Is it to miss Sunday mass because you didn't have a, a, a veil or is it to go to Sunday mass? No, go to Sunday mass, our Lord knows your intention. Our Lord knows your spirit. Um, but uh, you know. But that being said, don't don't just easily excuse yourself, like uh, or of like, well, I didn't bring it, and you know, I'm just going to pretend I don't see this basket of chapel veils and walk in there because I really just don't want to wear a veil. You know, and that's that's not the, the right spirit to have. But it's if you ever found yourself truly in that situation, then uh, the more important thing is to to, to honor our Lord uh, by our prayers in that way. Um, that being said, when we have the, the like you said, the options, 
the, you know, when we think in terms of spirit of the law, once again, you know, we see many people, and I'm not talking down, they're certainly fulfilling the, the law and they're not doing anything wrong in that way, but if we're really trying to adopt that spirit of the law, you know, the, the, uh, the, the three-inch in diameter little tiny doily that some people will put on their head, that's not really going above and beyond to, to fill, fulfill that spirit. You know, it's, it should be, we should encourage the use of things like mantillas that are, are longer and can cover the length of, of hair or, um, or, that, uh, or a hat where we can, you know, or a woman can, you know, put on a, a very nice uh, hat for, for our Lord and in that way not only honor the, the law of, of respect due to, due to God and the angels, but also have something that is, uh, is, is part of their Sunday best uh, in that way. It's sort of like, you know, a man putting on a, on, on a nice uh, suit or a woman putting on a nice, nice dress for, for our Lord for Sunday. Um, you know, if, if the head covering is there and you can put on a, a very nice and, and an elegant hat, then, then you're doing even more to, to show that, that ultimate respect and, and love for God and, and that trying to, to follow through with the, with the Sunday best in, in attire, uh, in that way, but also covering the hair, uh, when we, a, a woman should, should have that covering. So there's no distraction to, to anybody else and there's no distraction to themselves, uh, whatever it may be. It's just everything is focused back on our Lord. Uh, everything is focused on God himself. So, Yes, I just as a reminder to women, um, men, we, we can be easily distracted, especially if, if it's uh, beautiful hair. I know that that might be shocking to hear that. That's, a, that's, not, uh, that's not our choice. This is how God created us. Uh, we, you know, we admire uh, beautiful things. So keep us in mind, ladies, when, you ha- when you're thinking about, you know, getting that length of veil, you know, is it you have all week to display your lovely hair. Um, that maybe that hour or two hours that you're inside Mass on Sunday, that may not be the best time to show off how lovely it is. That it's, uh, it's not just the law of God, as, as Father has talked about, but it's, it's helpful to your fellow Christian men. And um, do, do have a thought for us uh, every now and then. Um, Father, I think it's a good time for us to pivot on to our, our next topic today, which is mm-hmm. uh, Sundays. And something that I have to say genuinely that I love about Europe is that things are not open on Sunday. Now, we might argue it's because they don't like to work very much here in Europe, but this is even true in Germany where they actually do work. And it's because of an ancient Christian tradition. Now, that being said, I'm not saying that everyone's a big practicing Catholic here in Europe, but what it means is I don't think anyone's going to volunteer to do more work when the thousand-year tradition has been to not work on Sunday. Even um, mm-hmm. even the pharmacy here, each neighborhood, each small here in Paris, they take turns as to who is open on Sunday. So, yes, a pharmacy has to be open because you may get really sick and you may need help, but uh, if you go to each pharmacy on Sunday, you'll have posted who the pharmacy is that's open. So they, they rotate, so... They don't even so it's it's, it's very hard to uh, to conduct uh, commerce uh, in in England. They would say trading hours. They they don't trade on Sundays. So I really love this because I find that culturally I'm forced to have even more respect for Sundays than I would in the United States. I think in the back of your mind in the United States, 
well, you know, if I really need something, I can go on Sunday. Uh, I've always had the flurry of Saturdays is try to get all your errands done. Well, in France, you have the additional thing of, well, you better get all your ingredients too, because it'll be hard. I'm not saying there are no markets open in Paris, but it's hard to find a place that's open. So if you want to put together a meal for your family, you need to do that all ahead of time. And I think that's a, a good Catholic thing. We're, we're prepared. We don't just let life happen to us. But what, what should we, uh, there's two points to this question, Father. What should we be doing on Sundays? That's the higher calling. So that's the do good. And then the avoid evil part is what can't we do on Sundays? What, what really should we look at and say, you can't do that because the definition of work can be hazy, especially with modernity. We don't have to churn our own butter anymore. Um, and hopefully you're having real butter as opposed to, to margarine, but, but that's a discussion for another show. Um, so can, can, can you talk about that a little bit, Father? Sure. Um, first, I will take your two questions and then I will reverse them. And I'll deal with what we can't do first because I, I think if we lay out, like anything of laws of the church, you know, oftentimes we have, this mindset of you know all the churches all a uh, church of you know thou shalt not type of type of uh, of, of deal that there's all these things that I can't do because I'm a Catholic but if we realize it and look at them as truly as as guidelines for for our soul then it really opens up a, a, a liberating factor of well because I can't do these things I know know what I can do and we can move out from there and it's a, it's a liberating uh, actuality to it. Um, so for things that we can't do, the church first off tells us that you know, any kind of servile work is forbidden on, on a Sunday. Now that's kind of a broad brush stroke, uh, if you will. But so what, what does it mean for servile work? What do we, what do we have to refrain from? And uh, that is anything that's, you know, of a, Physically demanding nature uh, that that would be uh, you know that would be require us to to do um, that basically can't, doesn't have to be done. So, for instance, um, you know, i i shouldn't uh, I shouldn't be uh, I shouldn't be out uh, you know remodeling my deck on Sunday. That's uh, that is a that is a servile work where you know, we're doing physical labor on a Sunday where we really, you know, we should not be doing so. Our uh, God asks us to, to our Lord rested on, on the seventh day. And so therefore we too should follow suit and, 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 and rest on, on, on that day and, and, and view it as a, as that period of, of rest. And so anytime for, for physical work that they, the general rule of thumb is, don't do it. Now, there are some exceptions to that. Obviously, you don't have to look any further than the priest. He's, he's, you know, Sunday is not a day of rest for, <laughs> for a priest. He is constantly working on, on, on Sunday. But that is something. Yeah, that that, is that, that, that might be your busiest work day of the week, isn't it, Father? <laughs> Oftentimes it is, yes. And um, but it's, but at the same time, it's, it's, you know, it's not servile. It's not just you know, work for the sake of, you know, some sort of. Uh, temporal gain or some sort of uh, you know work for for no end towards God. Ultimately, it's the it is work purely for for God that we're doing, and 
And so anytime, and that extends to, to the, the laity as well. You know, if there's something that you, to be done for the church, say you're the sacristan and you're setting up vestments or you're uh, working at, uh, you know, at uh, the taking up the collection or you're doing uh, some necessary uh, repair jobs to a, to a vestment or something like that that needs to be done, uh, you know, really quickly or something, then those things, you know, you're doing work for God, you're doing work for the church, and, and, and in that way, uh, it's not in any way servile, and, and it's allowable. Now, you know, there's things that can be done other times easily enough, and they fall into that category, then, you know, we should, we should try to take advantage of it as a day of rest. But if they're necessary, then, then, and it's for, for the church or for God, then, then it shouldn't be looked at at all as, as servile work. Also, the idea of just necessary work in general, you can't, you can't go all Sunday without preparing a meal. You have to eat, and so therefore, and it requires work to cook. So you you cook, and uh, you can't you can't go without. You can't just leave a whole bunch of dirty dishes in the in the sink. So you, you you'll probably have to wash dishes as well. And you know those things are 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 necessities. So you can't go without it. And so that certainly doesn't fall under uh, any kind of uh, of of you know probation for for Sundays. Um, and even in things of um, of charity. So, you know, I wouldn't go out and uh, start working on my car on a Sunday because, you know, if, if I was more mechanically inclined anyways, I wouldn't go out and, and work on my car on a Sunday. But if I was driving to, if I was driving and I saw someone broken down on the side of the road, and I could help out in that way, changing the tire or, or doing, you know, doing some work on their, their engine to get them so they can make it to where they're trying to go. Then, you know, charity is the, is the, the highest of, of the virtues. And so we should, we should not hesitate to exercise any kind of act of charity on, on, on a Sunday, just because, uh, we, we can't just leave someone stranded and say, well, you know, I'd help you out, but, uh, but it's Sunday, so therefore it looks like you're going to freeze to death on the side of the road because, uh, you know, I can't, I can't help you change that tire, ma'am. You know, so, <laughs> so you know, it's always that mentality of um, what, you know, it, that that spirit of the law. Not we're not Pharisees. We're not going to condemn the the person who you're not going to condemn our Lord for healing on the Sabbath. You know, it's, it's, it's that, uh, that, that idea of what's the, the, all things coming back towards, towards God. And even in, when we talk about rest, uh, and, uh, for the, the day of rest, that oftentimes includes a, a, a recreation. And just because, you know, a, you know, and a recreation is something that is legitimately able to be done. So, if a man works in a factory and you know, and is you know constantly doing all this really heavy physical labor, and to him to come home and kind of you know do a little bit of uh, of you know working around his garden is not only going to be a recreation but therapeutic to him and a way to, for him to relax, then 
then you know then he should feel free to 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 go out and do that um but at the same time you shouldn't be out there you know that's not the day to be you know planting shrubs and digging these huge holes and stuff but if he goes out and trims off like dead branches and uh and pulls a few weeds and things like that and just kind of if you will putts around the garden and do little things because it's something that he enjoy that he or she enjoys and and is therapeutic and it's not labor intensive then you know things like that are are okay um one thing that uh that i i oftentimes hear and see of though is that so many people um you know it's like I, I, they'll save their laundry for Sunday and then they'll just do all their laundry. On. Like Sunday's like the, the universal worldly laundry day, it seems like. And, you know, the, don't, no, no, use, that's, you know, that's something that, why, why do all your, why do those things? It just takes your mind, off, you know, away from the, that spirit of, of, of Sunday uh, for, for works like that, you know, laundry or, or uh, you know, spring cleaning day or, you know, yard work day. That, that, that's not what Sunday is made for. But if it's little, you know, putts around the house type of thing and you, you do a little work in your garden or you, um, you, you know, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, do a little bit of uh, picking up some papers from work that you're doing on the on the counter from the night before or something like that then that's then that's something that is, is certainly allowable um, now that kind of brings us to what should we be doing on Sunday well actually before I get to that you know one interesting point of uh, you know we talk so much about the, the spiritual side of it and what you know God's requiring of us for our souls but you know we, we, like we talk about for reasons why we fast because we're composed of, uh, of body and soul and we should be doing things to enhance the good of our souls we have to also remember on the flip side we are made of body and soul and our bodies need that that rest as well uh, in fact I was reading something I think I was back in college at the time I found it very interesting. I think it was, uh, I believe it was the Japanese that tried to implement, you know, a, uh, uh, I think it was like a 12-day work week. And then they'd have one day of rest after 12 days of working and then going forward. And they had to stop it because they started to realize that everybody was, all these people were getting sick and they were, uh, you know, becoming less productive and they were, uh, becoming uh, it was becoming a hindrance because they didn't have uh, that one day a week to to rest and rejuvenate themselves. So God in His providence sees even just the physical side of things. Of you know this is this is about what the the human body can can handle under heavy toil, and so therefore on that seventh day he should take a, a bit of a rest because that's what's going to keep him healthy and well, uh, even from just the, the, the physical point of view. Um, but so, but moving on to the, the spiritual side, what should we do? What should we do on Sunday? And we have to remember for ourselves that Sunday uh, is you know, for for us as Catholics is our Lord's Day. You know, this is the the day in which we are set aside to honor and worship God. And you know, it is uh, you know a, a commandment uh, you know to to keep holy. The, you know the Sabbath, the people, the Lord's Day, and uh, for us as, as Sunday, that we should, you know, that we should do that. It shouldn't. It's not just 
church. Okay, I went to church, therefore, you know, the rest of the day is mine. Ha ha. I'm done with God for the day because I showed up to Mass. That's that's not what we're talking about here. It should be a day that's kept holy. We should have, um, you know, uh, we should have extra devotions that we do that day. Perhaps, uh, you know, we we make sure that we uh, do a little bit of catechism study. You know, it's it's always important to to study our faith and uh, and to 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 do to do the cat to listen to uh, to um, to study our catechism. You know, is is one of the the very important things we can do for our soul. And you know, with Restoration Radio, I'll give a little plug out to to Father Larrabee. You know, if you know, listen to his, you know, if you don't want to pull out the book yourself and you know go through and run a class for you, for yourself of of study because maybe you're not the most uh, you know organized or 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 the um, you know, self-organized or self-motivating person, then all right, then cheat a little bit and listen to Father Larrabee's radio program on the catechism at least you're you're you're, you're studying your catechism in that way um for you can do that on sunday or you you know uh doing extra devotions perhaps uh setting aside uh, you know a couple of little devotional prayers that are your sunday prayers which are said in in addition to your normal daily devotions or um uh, doing something like uh you know if you <laughs> especially if you're in the Cincinnati area where we have this available always on Sundays and we're always you know plugging and uh, we're desperate for people to to come to attend because that's why it's there show up to Sunday Vespers you know come back what a great act of of honor to our lord then coming back to church and and praying uh, vespers along with the, the clergy that are there singing vespers uh, being even more intimately involved with the liturgy in that way. Um, there are you know, any number of, of, of holy practices, spiritual reading, and things like that. Make Sunday a holy day. It's not that you have to go from sunup to sundown in church, and you certainly are, you know should be encouraged to recreate and to get together for a nice big family meal or whatever, but, but always keeping in mind this is the day dedicated to God, and, uh, and I should set it aside for Him. I shouldn't just... You know, just do the the minimum this way. I should try to 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 reap the spiritual fruits from a Sunday. So, yeah, and I have to say, you know, for those people who have vespers available and who don't take advantage of it, and it isn't because they're hosting some big dinner and they're unavailable during the time, they just it's not part of their Sunday plans. And I'm so excited. I we've got uh, we've got vespers here at our chapel coming up on the 23rd of March, so we don't always have it. So. When I know that we have it, I set it aside. And for those of you who haven't, I, I will admit that part of me is speaking excitedly as someone who was who went to high school with Norbertines, you know, who have a great love for the divine office. But I would I would make a point to you that if you haven't experienced Vespers or you don't think it's your thing, whatever that means, that this <laughs> is a chance to actually see Catholic music live. You don't have to be a great singer. In fact, you know, you can just keep it to yourself and just sing sing a little lower if you're worried about the chant. The great thing about traditional Vespers is it repeats and after a while you will you will get the tones and you and you will, will get the sense of it. But it isn't just the mass. You people talk about, you know, well it's the mass that matters and there's a lot of other stuff that matters too. And if you tie your faith to having the mass, uh, I would warn you that what happens when the mass is taken from you? Because it very well may. It's as someone who who had to, to walk away from a valid but unicum mass, 
Um, it, it's it's something that I, I can't I can't stress enough that ha- if you have vespers around, really, what's your excuse for not going? You you can make you, you you're in control of your Sunday schedule, so why don't you make dinner a little later or have a snack before you go or or trade out if you have lots of kids? Maybe let one of let your spouse go. It's not that long. Vespers doesn't take a long time, and then you maybe treat each other. You know, one spouse stays and takes care of the kids. So, really, I can't I can't hop on the father's point any more strongly than than go. If you haven't been to Vespers and it's at your parish, that's a disgrace, and you really should go at some point. It's 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 a it's an integral part of the church church's uh, worship, um, in addition to the mass, and uh, you should take advantage of that. Um, and an important guess, to know, Stephen, is that um, that you know, just we always talk about you know the mass is truly your sacrifice, it's truly your your mass. Well, the same thing with divine office; it all composes of the, the the liturgy of the church, and the office is truly the office of the entire church. You know, it, just because it's only the clergy that are bound to say the office doesn't mean that the prayers aren't there representing you know, everybody of the church. So if it's your office anyways, you know, then you should be able to, then you, you have every, you know, right to, to show up and, and should take full advantage of showing up in order to gain those, those, those graces that are made available by it. So it's, you know, they're, 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 they're there and they're yours for the taking those graces. Uh, you know, take, take advantage of that. I think that's something that had to sink in slowly over time. Even uh, I, I don't want to say I'm a, a workaholic father, although some of my colleagues may, may call me a slave driver. Uh, I've tried to get better about that. That's, that's not a virtue. Um, but I, uh, that took a while for me to, to sink in. So even though I've always been aware of the, 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 the Sunday rule, sometimes we have to go above and beyond. And one of the things that I've... Um, and part of why the Restoration Radio schedule has shifted away from Sundays is even things that are, are virtuous that we like to do that depend on something else, uh, like the Internet, for example. I've tried to shift away so that, um, you know, we're on the Internet 24-7. Um, as you say, our body needs a, a Sabbath. I would argue your brain needs an Internet Sabbath. And maybe consider <laughs> unplugging unplugging your cable modem on Sunday morning and in plugging it in after Vespers or after dinner, um, anyone who needs you, uh, anyone who needs you for anything is going to be able to reach you by, uh, by telephone. There's no, there's no emergency that's going to come in over email. Um, you know, obviously I think father, you made that point accepting for doctors, you know, and you can put that on silent mode and the email can be delivered there, but I'm I'm someone who's who's always working, who's who's always doing things, and that's something I've tried to do as well. Is even be aware of the things that you are doing for good, like us recording a, a radio show. Is that you know try to do it outside of Sundays. We've been we've made that change in the schedule, but also even sometimes the administrative back end stuff that we do to make this work is is maybe on Sunday there's an. Uh, there's a break for that as well. And obviously that's not a requirement. I'm just sharing something that has, has helped and worked for me. Um, and I'm just offering it as a suggestion. Yeah. And someone who, for myself, someone who is, you know, both a priest and someone who has worked in, in the business world before, you know, a busy, for any busy person, they, they know that even though you might feel like I have to get, you know, 
some of these things done. I, I, if you're truly, like you said, a, a workaholic type of person, oh, I got to get, you know, I just want to get these things done and, and whatnot. Well, if you're a busy person, there's always going to be work to be done and there's always going to be the next thing that needs to be done. And so, you know, you, you, you should take that break and say, yeah, perhaps these things need to be done, but they don't need to be done right now. Yeah, you know, it's not on fire, so therefore it's it's going to be okay. It'll be there much. So it's <laughs> sufficient. Sufficient, there, uh, sufficient for the day is the evil thereof, right, Father? Exactly. <laughs> uh, for those of you who are just joining us, you are listening to Pastoralia on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm Stephen Heiner. With me today, as always, is Father Father Stephen McKenna. And we've had the opportunity today to talk about a lot of topics. Uh, we've talked about godparents. We've talked about the Catholic and clericals. We've talked about head coverings. And we've just wrapped up talking about what you shouldn't do on Sunday, what the church, what the church says you shouldn't do on Sunday, and then made some suggestions for maybe what you should do on Sunday. So, as always, the church doesn't want to create a robotic life where it says you will read some catechism and you shall study some doctrine and you shall play some games with your kids and you shall do this. The church has a general principle and allows her children to make up the infinitely beautiful garden of legitimate things to do on a Sunday on their own way, depending on their temperament, their particular situation. And I think that's what we can take away from what Father said. Our, the last segment of our show today speaks directly to what Father started the show with when we we talked about Lent, and we talked about spiritual exercises, and so those of you who don't normally do Stations of the Cross, although I, I will make the point that there's a Devotions with Bishop Dolan show that I did uh, with His Excellency, in which we talk about doing Stations of the Cross outside of Lent. But that's a that's a good thing to do. Don't don't make it a Lenten devotion. But let's say you are let's say you're doing Stations of the Cross, or you've decided to say. Uh, the St. Michael Chaplet, or you're adding something, I'd like to propose something to you uh, via the show topic today to think about doing this Lent, and that's a general confession. Now, Father, can you explain to us what's a general confession, how do we go about doing that, and should we just uh, show up in the queue uh, for confession and, and ambush the priest with a general confession? All right. So... Uh, A general confession is a confession that is made of not just, you know, your recent sins, the sins that you may have committed from your last confession, which is the normal for for people approaching confession, but it is a confession of sins of one's whole life. Uh, a re, uh, you know, a rehashing the, the 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 lifelong uh, fallings that we've had away from from grace and and confessing them in in one giant lump confession. And uh, there needs to be a distinction here of two different types of a general confession. You have one which is <coughs> of uh, the, the you have the one example of confession of um, uh, general confession, which we we'd say is one uh, of of necessity, or, or as we like to to, to call it, uh, the catch up and clean up confession. To and that's for somebody that 
either was not a Catholic during their life and now has converted over to Catholicism or someone who's coming over from Novus Ordo and you have all those questions of, you know, were these true priests? Were they, um, you know, was my confessions that were heard during this time, but, you know, were good and valid confessions? Or, you know, did I know enough about, uh, you know, sin due to the lack of teaching in the Novus Ordo Church about those things to make a good confession, uh, to, to have made good confessions at that time. Um, so there's the necessity one, which should be done for those people. So if you're listening and uh, you are uh, a recent comer to, to traditional Catholicism, you should, you should um, make, uh, uh, you know, make it a plan to, to do that catch-up-and-clean-up confession. Um, and then there's the other side of it, which is the ones of devotion. Those are for those who are already... Uh, you know, practicing Catholics, uh, traditional Catholics, and that they're, uh, that for whatever reason they, they are coming to the point that they want to, you know, to renew their, their sorrow for past sins of their life. And it's not to just purely gain, um, absolution for sins unconfessed, but more of a, of a, of a confession that is just done for devotional purposes and renewing that sorrow for sin. On either one of those, uh, they should, they you know, it should not be the I show up, you know, half an hour before Sunday Mass and just hop in line and expect to bombard Father with a uh, a general confession. No, because that's um, you know any of the scheduled times of confession at your parish are times that are for normal, uh, you know, regular confessions, if you will, uh, because and because uh, general confession takes more time. And it should be something that is actually scheduled as an appointment to come in for. Um, and with that, uh, anytime that um, you deal, a catch-up and clean-up confession should be should be done, and you should get in touch with your priest um, and schedule something and say, you know, Father, I I, I think I should do this um, because I had all this time in the Novus Ordo, and I and I uh, don't know which sins were forgiven and which ones weren't, or I, you know, I came over from Protestantism and, uh, I just kind of, you know, with the parish I went to, nobody inquired about it. And I kind of just started going along with the program and, uh, you know, uh, you know, started receiving the sacraments or something like that. Hopefully that's not the case, but, but, uh, um, but if anyways, the, you know, those, those true necessity ones, or I guess you could also put in there the necessity of, uh, uh, well, I guess I'll come back to that point. Uh, but yeah, the, the, any kind of necessity ones should be just, you know, get in touch with your priest and, and, and schedule something like that. Um, as for the ones of devotion, you should, you should, uh, it, it's not something to just be done whenever you want to. We don't want to, uh, you know, keep hitting these, these general con- confessions all the time, but it should be something that's done on, uh, you know, if you, if you, if it's wanted to be done, then it could be something that's done on, you know, on specific big happenings in someone's life. So oftentimes, you know, the, the number one thing that we see is this change in life. So if you're, um, if you're a single person and you're about to get married, that's a change in your state of life. And it's a good opportunity if you would like to, to ask the priest to uh, hear a general confession because you're, you're changing the, your life in a major way 
and uh, you'd like to, you know, as it were, you know, truly start off from a, a, from a spiritual point of view, from a, a, a new beginning, if you, in, in that new state of life, or you know, someone being ordained or entering a religious life might be, might be, a, you know, a, 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 a change of life that would happen. Um, an, uh, another one would be for devotion in case of an illness. So someone who is uh, really ill and perhaps uh, is uh, there's a danger of them dying, they may want to make a general confession for that peace of soul to, so that they can go and meet their their maker if that's what God is, is calling to them at that point. Um, with with confidence, with true confidence, then you know you're kind of uh, making sure you're covering, you're renewing that true sorrow for sin, so that God knows expressly. You know, He knows your heart already, obviously already, but uh, but He knows from your words that you're sorry for for everything that you've ever done to to commit Him and to to offend Him. So um, so that's a, a good and pious time to to have a, a general confession, or even something like a retreat if you're making a retreat and uh the priests are are available to to do so during that retreat maybe uh that might be an occasion where you might want to make a general confession but uh but anyway if you if you're choosing to if you're thinking about making a general confession you should always call your pri- a priest that you know and who knows you and ask him I would like to make a general confession uh, what do you think about it? And if the priest knows you, then he will let you know whether it is good for your soul or not. Oftentimes we have ideas that are good for our souls, but they're not necessarily the right thing for our souls at that moment. We don't want to be making general confessions all the time uh, because one of two things. One, we also, it, caught, it can possibly lead towards Towards scruples, towards scrupulosity, that you know that mindset that you know I've confessed it before, but I want to make sure that it's forgiven. Well, if you've confessed it before and you were sorry before, it is forgiven, and we shouldn't ever you know doubt that or in any kind of way or or you know feel like oh I got to make sure I'm covering my bases because if, but if we've been making good confessions, then we should have you know we should have no worry in that way. It's um, and also yes, that, indeed, uh, indeed, this was something that plagued Luther a lot. Was he was always worried that he had forgotten something in confession, and this was a, a recurrent theme for him. Right, and if we truly, and as our catechism would tell us, if we truly forget something, um, then you know God understands that. And you, if you truly forget something, and you would have confessed it had you remembered it, then you know. God treats it as, as forgiven, and it's always the good practice to end your, your normal confessions with, for these and all my past sins, or for these and any sins I may have forgotten, and because, you know, it's kind of like your catch-all, just to, like, you know, just to express that you're sorry for anything that you've, that you've ever done, but, uh, and you, every time you, you know, you go to confession, it doesn't mean that you have to run and make a general confession afterwards. Once something's forgiven, it's forgiven, and we just move forward in that way. So it's, so a priest who knows you is the, is the one who you want to approach, and you want to approach it as, uh, as, as a question, you know, is this something I should do? Should I make a general confession? And perhaps the priest might say, no, it's not good for you, because, you know, you did one two years ago, and you don't need to come back and do it again. Or, Perhaps the priest would say, "Yeah, you know, it's you know, it's uh, you know, it might be something that's beneficial to you to make uh, a good um, uh, confession." Um, in making those general confessions of devotion, now, like like I said, we're still talking of the the, the ones of devotion. Uh, 
it's uh, it's also you know important that priest who knows you because it is uh, your your goal is once again not to not to you know just to rehash all sins that you've done but to uh, but to find a way of spiritual growth from that point and so uh, I was talking to Bishop Dolan about the show beforehand and, and he says when it comes to a, a confession of the devotion they should go for the if they if they want the fruit they should go to the root meaning that you know it's not necessarily if it's a just a purely devotional uh, general confession, uh, then it's you know you're not necessarily really worried in in every number and, and species of every sin, but you, but to to say you know but that devotional general confession is made in in generalities. You know, for X number of years of my life, I was uh, you know I was uh, guilty maybe twice a week of of, of gluttony. And um, uh, and the reason for it, uh, I believe, is just attachment to my own comforts, my of, of flesh, rather than rather than searching after the, the higher good, which was God. And at that point, that way, you're looking for this is why I, in my past, I committed these sins, and this is a good reminder of how I can grow from it. I found I'm going to that root of the problem that I that I've. That uh, you know, it's not that I'm reconfessing gluttony, but it's uh, confessing that uh, you know I, for this time of my life, was you know very attached to my my own physical comforts, uh, and I should uh, and I need to be more devoid of that and more focused on my spiritual good rather than my physical uh, you know comfortability. And so, searching for the the root of the, of the question in those general confessions and. Like I said, just done in in a general way for devotion. Now, if we're talking about um, about a catch up, the necessity general confession, then it should be more focused. It should be truly searching through our lives and finding our all the mortal sins of our lives. And, and, and confessing them in number and species, just like any other confession. And, and because we're, when it comes to that general confession of, of necessity, we're talking about something that truly is a confession of those sins, because there's something there that makes us wonder, that is a legitimate concern as to whether these sins have been truly forgiven or not. And so we we would do that examination of conscience and, and find a good examination of conscience, find a few good examinations of conscience, because not they, none of them will claim to have all of the the different types of sins. So try to pull from as many as you can, and sit down and do you know write it down for yourself because you don't want to forget them. You know you're talking about your whole life, and oftentimes people will ask me, "How do you do an examination for my entire life?" Of uh, you know, I'm 30 years old. How do I confess 30 years of sinfulness? You know, when I had, when you know, when I was never anywhere near God whatsoever. How do I, how do I go about that? And what I always recommend is, is breaking our lives up to sections and then examining that section of our life. So, okay, I'll take time from the age of reason until uh, you know through through middle school time or junior high school, and that's a one chunk of life. Then high school and college time, and then time after college until uh, until you know now, uh, and and you know that's a 
you've broken your life up into three sections where, you know, perhaps this, you know, our simple inclinations during those times were more alike. And then now we can attack our examination of each section more easily than, um, than it would be to attack it as one just giant life uh, point. And then we go through and we note, like I said, the type of sin and the number of, of times of committing such a sin uh, for a mortal sin in that time to the best of our ability. Because once again, it's, it's, it's not about our memory as much as it's about God's mercy in, 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 in confession. And so we, we might say, okay, from the time I was in high school, I entered high school until the time I graduated from university, um, I would uh, commit the, the sin of anger on average probably about four times a, a week of saying something of saying something out of anger and in an uncharitable way towards my neighbor. That's you know, maybe some weeks I had less, maybe some weeks I had more, but at least it gives me a ballpark, you know, number of how many times I would, I would have done it. And then if there's certain things that we may have done once or twice in our life, then we confess it as such. You know, I did this, you know, two times and one not. And so that's how we would approach a general confession of of necessity, being more specific and trying to get all of the mortal sins that we can think of, and and confessing them that way. And then, but once again. The main point of either one of the, those general confessions is uh, is to to know ourselves, you know, like that that idea of going to that root of of the problem, you know, and to know ourselves so we can grow uh, and overcome our own faults and feelings that we all have, and to know God and to know His mercy. That's the most important things to take away from any general confession is to know ourselves so we can grow and know God uh, and who He is, and to know that. In, in 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 that knowing the mercy of God, realizing that He's not there trying to trip us up, trying to shoot us down. He's there trying to work for us to get to heaven. And so, therefore, by confessing our sins, they're forgiven. And uh, if He forgives them, then I need to forgive myself for for those sins, and I need to just learn from them and move on and try to grow in grace and grow towards towards God in my in my day to day life. You know, Father, I've had I've been blessed to have had a chance to do a few general confessions. My first was at an Ignatian retreat um, when I was uh, when I was younger, and, and then I've, I've done it in intervals of three or four years. I think it's probably been three or four years since my last general confession. I have to go back and look at my journal, but um, I I see it as a to put it in again in worldly terms so that people might might understand and I'd say, well, Steve, I've never heard of this. Father, I've never heard of this before. You know, uh, is it for me? Uh, I want to pick up a theme that you talked about, about improvement going to the root. Um, I, I look at it as an, an employee review in a way. You know, what's the point of an employee review? When I sit down with my staff to do it, I want to take an opportunity to praise them for the things that they've done well, but I also want to look at areas of improvement and one of the overwhelming things, when you go back and you do a general confession and you say, wow, it looks like I really had a problem with anger, or wow, I really had this challenge with my parents, in some ways it can be discouraging because you'll look and you'll see that, uh, you know, you failed in all these ways, but on the, by the flip side, you can also see where you've improved. You can say, well, I, I certainly didn't have that issue with anger, you know, at that point, you know, from that point forward or I've, I've gotten better, uh, with it. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's a, there's a, it's, a, it's, 
it's great in the humility that it imposes, but it's also uh, great in the in the grace that uh, that that comes with it. So I, I can recommend it for myself. Father, I'm sure you know as you might have been approaching priesthood or uh, other stages, you might have gone gone through one yourself. Can you share any reflections on on how it helped you? Uh, yourself as as a Christian growing in your own spiritual life. Yeah, I, I've done. Um, I've made two general confessions in, in my life. One was, like you said, early on in my coming over to tradition. When before I was, um, you know, as I was still growing, I made an Ignatius retreat uh, at the time, and uh, and we all and we did a, a general confession then. And the other time was right before my ordination to the subdiaconate because for for me and in, in my journey towards the priesthood that's the you know uh, that's the point of as we'd like to say the the no turning back point you know that's when you're 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 locked in by the vows of celibacy and the vow of, of saying your office daily and so um and so in those two times those were you know one was a retreat and one was a change of life and um and so they were very good for me because like you said it it, it, it lets you know where you've where you've grown from and and where you have um where you and what you've you can see what you've done to make that growth so you can continue doing so and it lets you see areas where you still need to grow of uh okay well I still you know I still fall into this area so that I need to improve upon this and then lastly, sometimes, you know, uh, is that, uh, you know, because everybody's different, sometimes people will find in their lives that perhaps they've grown, grown a little more lax in a certain area and that gives the opportunity for them to realize that, like, oh, I didn't do this five years ago, but now I'm, I, I find myself occasionally falling into this. What was I doing then that I'm not doing now? And how can I, how can I bring myself back to that original fervor that I had before? But, you know, that being said, you know, in, 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 a, in a universal idea, you know, general confessions, yes, they're a good thing for someone to do on occasion. But once again, you know, I wanted to stress that point that, you know, talk to your priest and a priest that knows who you are and knows your personality uh, before uh, doing a devotional general confession. Because like I said, while on the, as a whole, general confessions certainly are a good thing. Uh, it may not be good for you or it may not be good for you at this time. And the, the priest who knows you will, will know that. And ultimately what we're lo- looking for from a general confession is what's going, you know, something that's going to be for the betterment of my spiritual good. And if, if a priest recognizes that it's not for your spiritual good at that time, then you wouldn't want to do it because it'd actually be contrary to the purpose of that general confession. So, so talk to, you know, if you, if it's something that you are thinking of and you haven't done in a long time and, or you haven't done ever and something that you, you perhaps are, are thinking about doing, talk to your priest, the one that, you know, that you, that, uh, that knows you, who you are, uh, well and, and ask him, you know, what he, what he thinks of the idea. And, uh, and then just follow his advice and, and, and you, you won't go wrong in doing so. You'll, you'll, you know, either way that the priest decides in that regard will, um, will be something that will be ultimately for the best of your soul. So, and that's what the, that's what the idea of general confession is. What's best for my soul and my growth in my, in my faith. And we're going to do another show on confession in the future, Father, so I don't really want to touch on this too much, but then the question, but then Father will know who I am uh, going to confession. 
And uh, again, we'll talk about this when we get to the confession show to, to sort of dismiss this, uh, this silly idea as if a father cares uh, what happened <laughs> or B that you think that you, you've got the biggest sin, you know, uh, father's right. heard worse, whatever, whatever you've got father, father's heard worse. So don't, don't try to be the big bragger thinking that you brought the, the biggest sins to father. So, Father, just to address that, someone says, well, Father, you're saying I need to consult with the priest, and then I have to make arrangements with the priest. That means the priest is going to know from the beginning that it's me, and he's going to hear this horror show of the last 20 years, the last 30 years. How can we get beyond that? Well, you know, first off is that, you know, the spirit of the priest is always that of the father to the to the prodigal son. You know, that we're just so happy that in any type of confessional situation, we're just so happy that someone is, is approaching the sacrament and, and having sins forgiven. So, you know, a situation, you know, a thought that, you know, the priest is going to be shocked or angered by something is, you know, is contrary to, to, to what it is. And then also that idea that, you know, we, uh, uh, like we're trying to, like we're really trying to keep track of who's saying what or we're even remember who who did what you know you hear so many confessions that generally speaking it it all basically just blends into one big glob of you know of people's sins and you know you you forget about it as soon as the door closes pretty much and move on and uh you know i you know, I can speak for all priests and say that we all have more important things to do than than try to remember who did what in in, in their own personal sins, and uh, and uh, and lastly, you know that um, that it's uh, it's a point that yeah, like you said, you know, it's uh, you'd have to you'd have to do something earth moving to really shock any any priest or take them by surprise. Uh, you know, this, uh, it doesn't take very long for a priest to hear just about any, you know, any type of the major, major sins that run throughout the entire world, uh, pretty much have been heard by any priest who's been hearing confessions for, you know, a couple of years. So, or, or you know, or even less probably. So, and so it's, you know, it's all stuff we've, we've heard before and it's all things that, um, that, uh, you know, we're just there to forgive sins. We're not, uh, we're not there to, uh, to, to keep tabs. So don't, don't, don't worry at all about it. So not a, not a problem. Father, I thought we, uh, we did a pretty good job today considering our, our last two shows where we were dealing with really large themes of, of, uh, handling a few different questions today. So thanks so much for your time. Anything that, as we were going on, you thought uh, you might want to circle back to that uh, we didn't have an opportunity to talk about before I let you go? No, no, I think uh, we covered basically anything. And uh, Father, thanks again for being with us. Well, thank you for having me, Steve. All right. Um, again, as always, all of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, you please consider making whatever donation is possible to our apostolate, no matter how small it might be. To those of you who have donated, a heartfelt thank you for your kindness and generosity. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or simply even an Ave for our work the next time you pray. If you have any questions or comments or would like to reproduce our copyrighted work on your channel in some format, we'd love to hear from you. For the restoration, I am Stephen Heiner. May God bless you.
This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.